Sail on the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Jeffrey Lilly. And I'm Sarah Black. And today we are bringing it back to the Salem Witch Trials. Back to 1692, talking about one of the early victims, uh, a very well-known victim, I'd say, Sarah Good. Yeah. I was realizing we've, this is the, she's not it, but we've done... So some of the more prominent, famous, we've done Tichuba, we've done Rebecca Nurse. Giles Corey. Bridget Bishop. And I think she's probably sort of one of those, one of the last or top tier well-known people. She is one of the first three to be accused of witchcraft in the early parts of this outbreak. Mm -hmm. And she is included in the second round of executions alongside four other innocent women, hanged July 19th. 1692. So uh, if you're listening, when this drops, that was just about a week ago. Yeah, we tend to try to do this when we pick out certain victims to focus on, uh, try to do it around that time. So you've got that connection there, Uh, maybe centuries past, but still uh, here in Salem. It's important. It is important. And a lot of people, a lot of folks, whether you're visiting or you're a local, It's kind of just like a general awareness Mm -hmm. when those anniversaries come about, whether it's June 10th for Bridget Bishop or July 19th for these folks. Yeah. So. And uh, also on um, social media, which is nice. Uh, A lot of the tour groups, Salem groups, uh, whatever the case may be, sort of always sharing uh, those dates and those names. It's good, though. It prompts people to pursue more information about people like Sarah Good. Yeah. So uh, hence our intention to drop <laughs> it right now. So along with Sarah Good, you have Rebecca Nurse, who we've talked about, uh, I think it was a year ago. Yeah, we did her. She was the first one we yeah. chose to do for our July yeah. victim episode. And Susanna Martin, Elizabeth Howe, and Sarah Wilds. All innocent women, not witches. Hopefully, if you're listening at this point, yeah, you, you've, you are, if you're jumping in right now, that's yeah. you've uh, you've you've come to understand that fact. Yes. And it might be a good opportunity to jump back if it's been a while to our recap of 1692. I think that was episode number two. Maybe it was episode number three. Sure. I think it was two. I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah. It's been like a year yeah. and a half. But I guess before we jump yeah. in real quick on a much lighter, <laughs> lighter I note. I was like, I was like, oh no, we need to. I was like, yeah, yeah this is already getting really heavy. Yeah. Um, we did something fun this, ice, this ice week. Baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Hollywood. Uh, thank you to all our, our Patreon subscribers. We made this promise to you back at the beginning. Yeah. Sarah made a promise to you and, and I was strong armed into it. And uh, I think it was a good idea. <laughs> no, let's it, be it honest. Was great. It was fun. Um, took us a little while. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, yes. Thank you for your patience. We did recreate the scene from Hocus Pocus with Jay and Ice in the graveyard. Ernie. Er, ice. <laughs> it's Ice, man. <laughs> and Jeff did get ice shaved into yeah. the back of his head. Yeah. Um, How was that experience, sir? Oh, that was fun. It was it was a lot of fun. It felt weird. I don't know. I, you see people, I guess you see people with like stuff shaved in their head like mm-hmm. a lot. But I never realized like, like the difference of those like, like touching it felt weird. Because ah. it was like, 
You're like, something feels wrong. Yeah, yeah. Something, it's like your hair felt different. Which, which was, oh, it was cut, so that would make sense. Well, yeah. <laughs> it was like like rivets. I was like, I can like feel where it is. Um, so shout out to uh, Lauren, who's also a, a Patreon subscriber. Uh, she was super excited to do that. And uh, I'm sure if you are on uh, our social medias, you, you got to see some of that as well. Patreon subscribers, you will be seeing all of the behind the scenes, juicy, fun details. It was 80 degrees. We had many, many layers. We are not actors, but <laughs> I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah. And I'm working diligently to splice that together with uh, some type of max. So the scene actually works. Like fits together. Nice. Yep. And I'm finishing up all the, the live uh, episode stuff as well. So we'll get that up to the Patreon subscribers probably in the next like two days. Good, good, good. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the scene was cool. It was fun. Although I got it. I got to say, uh, it, it, it took us a, a minute to, to find the location. Yeah. So heads up, if you want to go check out the graveyard from Hocus Pocus, or remember, this is only the scene when Max is riding his bike home from school. Mm-hmm. This is not where Billy Butcherson's grave is. That was all soundstage over in Hollywood. But that initial graveyard that you see him riding his bike through, that does exist. It is in Marblehead, not Salem. And the location where he meets up with uh, Ice and Ernie, um, (laughs) you know, those stones are all still there. The chest tomb that Jay is standing on is still there. We just weren't sure. I mean, it's not a big graveyard, but it Uh, took us a second. It's it's like we walked around the whole thing like little little pockets. It's the bearing. It's the old bearing hill in Marblehead Uh, and it is a little hilly and. There's little like sections of stones. Yeah. Um, I was asked recently, like within the past couple months, like it's really rocky there, right? Because there's like those, they're not cliff faces. Yeah. It's not, but, you know, rock faces. And yeah. they're like, how did they like get in there? And I was like, well, there's also dirt. Yeah. That's <laughs> why there's pockets of yeah like stones. Because Where you, you see fi- like, exactly. right, a group and then another group. And then another group. There's definitely some spaces where there's like larger bearing areas, but there's some that are like tiny little small pockets because, yeah, there's stone. And then you dig around that. But if you want the actual location where that scene takes place, you don't have to search through the whole graveyard. It's just right off to the left, right when you come in. (laughs) I think there's two entrances or two. Maybe. Maybe. So one is you're coming up the steps and the gazebo sort of just on your left. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. There's a a distinct headstone that's in the movie that you can see very clearly. There's one that's not there anymore. And we were talking that it might have been a prop. Yeah. Um, Not sure. And then I kept looking for these two white headstones that you can see in the background of, of the scene. And we walked in. I was like, oh, they're right there. But then perspective wise didn't realize how actually far away they were and that even where we were, there'd been like, it's been 30 years. Been 30 years. Trees had gotten a little bigger. Some of the the forestry had gotten a little more dense. It was definitely an experience though. Yeah. yeah. Um, Some of my favorite tour fans said that I would make a great drag king and Uh, that that made my day. (laughs) Made my day. You You could rock that probably. 
You should try it in October. According to them, I was going to say people do want to see these costumes again, so we might have to <laughs> we might have to break them out in October. That'd be hilarious. Can you imagine us on the streets? Oh gosh. In our costume? I think I think people would enjoy that. I need I think a bucket people hat though. Would love it. Why? I gave it to Lauren. <sighs> yeah, get another one. It's okay. Get another one. We'll get dressed up again. Remember when she was shaving my head? She's like, yeah, oh, she's my. like, I'll keep that. Yeah. So I when I went back to to get a proper haircut, I, I gave that to her. So yeah, let's let's get you a new bucket hat and we'll take to the streets as Jay and Ice this uh, spooky season. <laughs> Yay! All right, I think that is all we have to discuss until we dive back into 1692. Let's get to it. So today we are talking about Sarah Good, born July 1653. So this would make her 38 years old at the time of the Salem witch trials. Would also make her. You know, I was going to look this up (laughs) and I didn't. And I couldn't remember if we decided to do it for victims as well as like other folks that we talk about. Did you look it up? Yes. What is she? Cancer. She's a cancer. I was going to say, we should know this. We're in cancer season right now, right? I, I think we're coming out of cancer season. Yes. Uh, I would not have known this otherwise. For being Salemites, we are not good at astrology. Uh, Leo season begins. So it will be Leo season when you all are listening, if you listen when it drops. Ah. Yes. You are very much a Leo, Jeffrey. I mean, also technically very much a Pisces. Yes, I know, but (laughs) you are Leo energy to a T. Typical cancer traits. Did you look those up as well? No. Okay. I'll hit you with the traits. Is this not what we normally, I'll I'll be like this and then you'll be like that. Sure. Okay. All right. Cancer traits, positive traits, I should say. Nurturing, protective, affectionate, imaginative, tough, tenacious, dependable, proactive, home-loving, loyal, caring, and observant. I think we could apply some of those to her. And negative traits, moody, (laughs) pessimistic, clingy, worrier, obsessive, manipulative, overly cautious, evasive, possessive, lazy, suspicious, and aggressive. I think we could probably also attribute some of those to her. Yeah. She didn't have a lot of fans. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. Should have bad reputation but she i can understand where some of that probably stems from because her upbringing there was kind of i don't know a little bit of whiplash there so she's born into a pretty prosperous family yeah upper middle class by sort of any modern descriptor definitely her father was a, a pretty wealthy tavern owner yeah he had quite a bit of land um when he dies it, it's estimated to be about 500 pounds worth. Which is like a, a lot. lot of yeah. money. Yeah. So it, it's a good size estate. And when he, when he uh, commits suicide. Yes. Took his own life. Yeah. Remember, we don't like to say commit suicide anymore. Oh. Outdated. Sorry. Because then it, it's, it's derived from the idea of it's like committing yes. a crime, yes, right? Yes, 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 yes. But awareness. When he, when he took his own life. Um, when she was 18. Yeah, I saw eight around 18 or 19, yeah. and she was one of nine children, so he left a very big family behind. Um, her parents were John and Elizabeth Solart. Yep. Um, there were two boys and seven daughters in that family, and 
he would leave them in 1672. That's that's a lot. So 70 acres worth an estimated 500 pounds, but no will. So I saw that, and I don't know. It, it prompted me. I haven't done more research. Um, what's with all these guys dying with no wills? Well, I feel like usually in this case, you know, who knows what was going through his mind in those last days, but you would think that if this was something that you were intentionally going to do, you would have left some type of direction, especially living in a world where you know that your daughters are going to have a difficult time mm-hmm. inheriting anything. And, uh, and like, I, I guess I can understand. And at first I was like, well, it was probably expensive, right? You probably had to like, maybe the, the legal, so the judiciary, right? Like these things cost money. Um, but with all like the, when you look through the, the concept of the trials and this, and it's a lot of, it has a lot of bearing on the trials, but it's also things that happened years and decades before. So many land disputes, so many property issues, so many inheritance issues, so many of these issues. And so many times we're like died without a will. And you're just like, what, what's, what's with you guys? Also, what if, here's a theory. What if in some of these cases they did leave a will and, but someone <laughs> got rid of that will before, you know, anyone could go find it. I hadn't thought of that. Right, if you It's a lot easier back then to cover stuff up than it would be in modern day when yeah. it's like you got a paper trail, you know? Not like they didn't have they kept very meticulous records back then. But So I think that the only paper trail with a will would be if the lawyer kept a record a receipt of the transaction for the payment of right. the will. So if you're like, you know, uh Daniel uh sorry, excuse me. Um, John Solart will whatever, and then you're like, ah, oh, he had a will, but the will disappeared. Ah, uh, right. yeah. But no, it would be much easier to just like, oh no, died Did- without a will. Oopsie. The property's up for grabs again. Yeah. So in this world, women could not. It was property inheritance was not streamlined, and yeah. oftentimes that did that money did not go to the daughters in the family. And if it did, then their new husband would, or if they got married. Right. Cause when you get married, all your possessions become yeah, your husband's yeah. possessions, so, including so, you. So yeah, a lot of times a wife or a woman or who could get the property, but it's not like, Oh, now it's mine. It's like, sure. But you're going to have to remarry. You're going to have to. And like, then they will have control. Yeah. And that's basically what happened with their family. Mm-hmm. Her mother, Elizabeth, remarries. Yeah, so I guess there was like a will-ish. There was like a... The court stipulated yeah. that the majority of the land would be dispersed between his widow mm-hmm. and his two sons with a small portion going to each of the seven daughters. But when Elizabeth remarries... Seven kids. Nine kids, seven daughters, two boys. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, literally. Yeah, my bad. That's okay. It's numbers. Doubting me. Come on now. Um, But when she remarries and gotta love a shitty stepfather. Sorry, I had to say that. He basically says, no, they're not going to get this land. Mm -hmm. This is ours. This is mine. And they're going to end up suing him for their their rightful inheritance. It's going to be, you know, 
duked out in court for years. Yeah. Which again, and I, I guess I'm just, we see that sort of situation crop up fairly frequently. In regards to like this context yeah, of the yeah, trials? Yeah. yeah. There's always like, and you, you look at the, the, the scope of the, the conversations, you're always like, oh yes. And then they had to go to court for the land issue and for this issue, for the property issue, for this issue. And you're like, is that all you guys did? Did you just like farm and sue each other? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure they did a lot, but you also got to think what records survive. Yeah. Yeah. And those judicial records. Judicial records survive. Are going to survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not all judicial records. There's some years that are just. Missing. Just missing. Just. Gee, I wonder what happened just, to those. Oh. <laughs> You like 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 the clerk looking through the court documents like 89 90 90 92 we can get rid of those 93 <laughs> 94 but yeah the uh stepfather makes it very difficult uh for everyone but himself i guess would would be the the, the uh situation there and her misfortune continues um, at this point, she doesn't have many prospects in life. Uh, she has no dowry. She has a very, very small inheritance. And she ends up marrying an indentured servant by the name of Daniel Poole, which was, he was still in his servitude. Mm-hmm. So any anything that she had was going to end up going to him and also his debts. He died suddenly in 1686, so it didn't last very long. Mm -hmm. Only married a handful of years. And again, any land that she had acquired from her father's estate was seized by her now dead husband's creditors. Yeah, and he also leaves her with other debts as well that they had acquired in in their short time. I guess there's a record of him getting a suit of clothes for himself. Oh, very nice. And two petticoats for her. So. At least he got her something. Yeah. Uh, So he got some, uh, I guess, finer clothes, it seems. And that saddled her with a debt of seven pounds, which is a lot. Especially back then. Yeah. And then on top of that, there was his funeral costs, which also hit her financially. That's a long ways to fall, to grow up in this upper middle class family. Acres and acres of land, a tavern owner, upper middle class. Big family. House, bunch of kids. To this. Yeah. To having to sell. It's in this instance, she has to sell pretty much like all the stuff that she had just to pay the debts for a dead ex-husband. And obviously. I mean, dead husband. Dead Dead husband. And obviously she doesn't, I I would assume she doesn't have a good relationship with her mother Mm -hmm. because of the relationship with her stepfather. There's probably a good chance that she had, you know, no real support system. Mm -hmm. Also, I think we forgot to mention there's a geographical move here. Oh, yeah, she's she's from Wenham. Yeah, she's not even from Salem Village or Salem Town. She grew up in Wenham, Massachusetts, which I'd say is about 25 minutes northwest of us or maybe just north of us. Six miles. Yeah, six miles out here takes about 20 minutes. To be fair, I Googled You say six miles to someone from Michigan, they think it takes five (laughs) minutes. Six miles out here can take an hour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's about 25 minutes or okay. so. So yeah, Wenham's not that far, but it's still, it's not now. So it's not a car ride away. Yeah. yeah. But 
at the time of the trials. And I think by the time she's married, she is living in Salem Village. Mm -hmm. So after her first husband dies, she remarries a man named William Good. So this is her, her second marriage. So she goes Sarah Solart, Sarah Poole, Sarah Good. He was a laborer who, for lack of a better description, struggled to maintain steady work. He was a laborer who didn't labor that often. I don't know. I um, I sort of got the reading this. It, 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 I, I felt a connection to a modern day trope of like the misfortunate woman who marries the shitty labor guy who then has a issue a bad back doesn't work you know tries to take from her and maybe like thinking that her stepfather might get something and that's mm-hmm. you know like that just sort like of, not a good guy right like i felt like like reading through this i'm like i've seen this as like a trope played out in like tv or something before right mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah so it was like not entirely unfamiliar by the early 1690s the family was basically homeless um, yeah. and in debt. She she had gotten some land from her stepfather at the time of the marriage, but basically then that became William Good's land. And then as soon as that happened, the, his debtors came and took all that, which... It's just a constant struggle yeah. through her life. Yeah. So they are they are effectively homeless at, at this point and have been for a little while. Sarah was reduced to begging, mm-hmm. um, going door to door with her young daughter, Dorothy. Dorothy was born in 1688, probably. So she would have been four at the time of the uh, initial time of the trials. And she had a pretty bad reputation in town. Yeah. Uh, I'll... She's described as having a pipe in her mouth, um, often muttering to herself, which a lot of people would later interpret as witchcraft. Or cursing. Mm-hmm. Not like swearing, cursing, which I think like she actually, also did. Like projecting curses yeah, onto people. Yeah, yeah. She would stay, her and her daughter would stay with different families in the village, you know, moving from place to place. One described her as, quote, so turbulent a spirit spiteful and so maliciously bent that they had to put her out. So she's difficult to the point where people don't even want her anywhere near their home. A local menace, she was described as. Oh, actually, I read in a Stacy Schiff's book, mm-hmm. The Witches. I love this description. She would have seemed to have wandered into the village directly from the Brothers Grimm, were it not for the fact that they had not been born yet. <laughs> so she is like literally straight out of a Brothers Grimm fairy tale. You know, she's only 38 in 1692, yeah. but she's this kind of, you know, haggard. She looks aged. She looks worn down. She's been impoverished for years. She's had horrible marriages. Her family has kind of, you know, descended morally. And, you know, it's just... Such a bad situation. She's got this kid in tow. Husband's just not. Her husband can't provide for his family. Yeah. She can't provide for her daughter. It's just all around not good. And I, I, I very easily see 
maybe not uh, the reason for all of her actions and behavior, but at least like where it started or her how it started. And I can understand her being a frustrated woman. Yeah. Like, you know, how much can one person take, right? Yeah. And there, there is definitely a balance between like you need the charity of others, but you're just, you, it's just been so rough that now you're just spiteful. Yeah. She's probably depressed. I mean, she's probably, I can't even imagine what it would be like to go through that life. In and pure- seemingly entitled as well. Which is the other problem here is that she still feel like she came from that class of people uh-huh. and she still feels that she is owed what she would have. She grew up in the, in that life and she's like, I am still owed this. Right. And, and then when she has to adjust, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't work well. Nope. And she makes a lot of enemies along the way. Yeah. Which... Again, and it's hard to like look back, but if if you give to someone and then they stand in your yard and like scream at your house and throw stuff at you, <laughs> there's only so much that we have to to mm-hmm. to help. Now, one of these homes that she went up to was actually the home of Reverend Samuel Paris. Yeah. So the girls, the first two afflicted girls, his daughter Betty and mm-hmm. his niece Abigail Williams. Mm-hmm. They would have had knowledge of Sarah. They would have seen her before. They probably would have heard Reverend Paris talk about her, complain about her. So I think this visit, this is why she was accused. Or this is why the girls named her as a as an attacker. She was like a perfect... Like, we talk about Bridget Bishop being a great target. We talk about... Uh, we talk about um, Tichaba being an easy target... But Sarah Good as well. Like mm-hmm. she is definitely, you know, of all the people that they could have called a witch, I feel like she fit the stereotypical notion in their minds. But also she, so this, this happens recently, right? Like early February. Yeah. Like right before the trials kick off. So this woman's come knocking at the, and remember they're 9 11. So this woman's come knocking at the door. She's asked for some level of charity, which he provides. Um, I think he gives her some bread. And I can only imagine their conversation. And then uh, she likely lingers and is rude and is shouting. And here you have these kids. And then I'm sure Reverend Paris closed the door and then probably goes off about it. Yep. Like he's probably like that damn woman. Why can't she this? Her no good husband, except and he she just probably he just lays it out right in front of and within earshot of Betty and Abigail. So then two weeks later, when they're like, Bah, who's attacking you? They're like, Whew. That name is so fresh in their minds. They've just had an experience with this woman. Yeah. I think that visit is probably what, what spurs those those girls' naming of her? She is arrested alongside Tichaba mm-hmm. and Sarah Osborne. And the first examination, which we have talked about, took place March 1st, 1692. So remember, this is in Salem Village, not Salem Town. Mm-hmm. This is before the court of Oyer and Terminer. This is before Governor Phipps has come with the new charter. 
this is the very, very beginning of the sensationalism. Yep. But we, we are post-witch cake. Yes, we are post-witch <laughs> cake. So we, we've, we've fed the witch cake to the dog, and the girls have given their first names. Yes. These three women are at first brought to Ingersoll's Tavern, but as we've said before, the crowd had amassed so large that it would not fit, so they had to move the questioning to the Salem Village Meeting House. And Sarah Good is actually the first one to give testimony. Yeah. So out of all the victims of the Salem Witch Trials, out of all the people that who were accused, she is the first one to go up in front of anyone. And it's the standard lines of questioning, uh, a somewhat standard presumption of guilt. Yeah, do you want to you want to go back and forth on her testimony? Yeah, absolutely. Although I don't I don't like it, but sure. Why? I just don't like being Hathorn all the time. What do you what do you want me to do about <laughs> that, dude? I know, I get it. I'm just saying. Her li- her name is literally Sarah. I I'm not You don't get to be Sarah. I, that's fine. I'm just saying it. I don't I like get being to be Hathorn. Sarah. <clears throat> So these are the first lines. These are the first, this is the first line of questioning of the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. So, and I, I'll, I'll read it here in a second. But again, the questioning is already a presumption. It's not, it's not a do you. It's not a. Ex- it's when did you. Yeah. How did you. Yeah. Who did you with. Yeah. Sarah Good. What evil spirit have you familiarity with? None. Have you made no contract with the devil? No. Why do you hurt these children? I do not hurt them. I scorn it. Who do you employ then to do it? I employ nobody. What creature do you employ then? No creature, but I am falsely accused. Why did you go away muttering from Mr. Paris's house? I did not mutter, but I thanked him for what he gave my child. Have you made no contract with the devil? No. He desired the children, all of them, to look upon her and see if this were the person that had hurt them. They go on to describe how the children were told to look upon Sarah. Yeah. And they immediately descended into fits. We're all tormented right there in the courtroom. Sarah Good, do you not see now what you have done? Why do you not tell us the truth? Why do you thus torment these poor children? I do not torment them. Who do you employ then? I employ nobody. I scorn it. How came they thus tormented? What do I know? You bring others here and now you charge me with it. Why? Who was it? I do not know, but it was some you brought into the meeting house with you. We brought you into the meeting house. But you brought in two more. Who was it then that tormented the children? It was Osborne. Ooh, we got some <laughs> pointing of the fingers here. I think, well, in this point, she like, no matter what she says, they don't believe her. So what else are you going mean, to do? That's been what? Like 10 questions? Five questions repeated twice? Yeah. Why? Wh- what else are you supposed to do? What are you using? She said like, it's been like three lines of questioning. Why are you doing it? She's not doing it. Who are you doing it with? She's not employing anyone. There's no familiars. And so they've now over, it's, it's not even like a grilling. It's been two minutes how frustrating it must have been to over and over again saying no i have no idea what you're talking about i have no familiarity with the devil i know nothing of this and they don't believe you they they didn't even believe her from the start nope 
Minds were already made up. Yeah. Which, and again, it fits into their worldview. So this all seems so often so very, very ridiculous, but they're not making this up. They're not like flying by the seat of their pants and like this is they genuinely intrinsically socially believe that these children are being tormented by spirits by witches and that this will be the entire downfall of their entire community and that this is very real so they believe they have found that person and they're just they're gonna get her towards the end of her testimony her husband actually only makes her look more guilty. So William Good, at some point during this, had said that he was, quote, afraid that she either was a witch or would be one very quickly. He believed she was the enemy to all good. Which, when I, when I see that, and I don't know what she was like, what his relationship was like, or maybe he had known her before, but she doesn't always seem to have been the woman that is so often described to us. How right? so? Like that that mean mean spirited, rude, right? That wasn't I don't I don't know if she was like that in in her 20s, but it seems like she is that now. So there has been a a, a decline in her personality, clearly given her you know very difficult life that's not at at all un- unwarranted. But I can sort of see how when he says that you it sort of reminds you that like maybe they, the woman who he married who who he knew before you know as as their relationship or also they may have just had a tumultuous relationship yeah. from the start but i i feel like there's been a a decline in her attitude um, cuz you don't you don't get a lot of that from before you don't you don't see that as a a negative thing when so often towards the time of the trials be like yeah in the past several years and there's a lot of contributing factors to that, so that's entirely understandable. She was or would be soon. I can sort of see, like, it just keeps getting worse. And, yeah. Yeah, I think it probably was a combination of a, a not-so-good marriage, mm-hmm. and he may have even been looking to save himself because he sees how revved up the courtroom already is getting. This is the first initial questioning no, his fa- this is his family that's at risk. This yeah. is he himself who's at risk. So it's sad, though, because in a lot of cases, take for Rebecca Nurse, for example, there are people that are going out of their way to stand up for her, mm-hmm. and I feel like no one stood up for Sarah Good. I love the, the juxtaposition between uh, Sarah Good and Rebecca Nurse, especially considering that they're executed literally next to each other. How... You have one woman who is held in such high regard because so often within the scope of the of the the concept of a witch, it's that other, it's that out, it's that person who is very similar to 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 Sarah Good in a lot of ways, the descriptors and whatever else, right? So that's your traditional trope that people see. But when you have these two women literally next to each other, having suffered and experienced the exact same mistreatment and misfortune and presumption of guilt and manipulation by the courts and all these things, you know, that really sort of 
pushes away that narrative of, oh, it's always these people. And you're like, no, in the Salem witch trials, it, it could be everyone from the, well, yeah, the it homeless was, it woman was everyone. To, to the fully coveted member of the church. And you're like, no one was safe. No. That's why it yeah. got so out of control and ultimately stopped, I think. So after her initial testimony given on March 1st, Sarah Osborne and, and Tichaba will then give their testimony. Mm-hmm. And Tichaba heavily implicates Sarah Good. Now we already spent some time talking about Tichaba's role in the trials and her fate. Um, but if you recall, remember she got super vivid in those initial descriptions and talked about and actually very violent, talked about how these women and this black man had threatened to cut off her head if she didn't join them. Uh Sarah Good is one of those people. So she is only adding to this idea of Sarah Good being this terrifying witch. Like she only feeds into their fears. So I, I find that fascinating. And I think we can likely directly link that maybe back to the visit to the Paris household as well. Oh, yeah. Like Tichaba would have had direct interactions with Sarah Good coming up to. Yep. Yep. She would have been in the household. She might might have talked to Sarah Good if she'd been outside doing work, something along these lines. And then she would have had to deal with the kids. She would have had to deal with Reverend Paris, Had would have had to deal with his wife. And so she is now by you know, extremely dealing with Sarah good in, in this, in this fashion. So then she's like, yeah, that woman, she's done this. She's done this because she knows how that's going to play out. Now, after this first round of questioning, the magistrates request for more testimony just Mm -hmm. from anyone who has any information that would add value to this case. William good Her husband went on to say that he saw a small wart or teat below her right shoulder, which he had never seen before. Goodwife Ingersoll was asked whether she saw it when she searched her. So like all the others, Sarah Good will be physically examined Mm -hmm. by a group of people looking for witches' marks. And remember, this is the little spot where your familiar latches on and feeds off of you. But it could have been a little mole, a freckle, a birthmark, skin tag, anything, an actual third nipple. Um, Gosh, I've had so many great stories about third nipples on tour lately. It's hilarious. But her husband, once again, is testifying against her and just adding to her guilty verdict. Two gentlemen by the names of William Allen and John Hughes also claimed that they saw, quote, a strange and unusual beast lying on the ground when they approached. (laughs) Is that like so vivid, right? I love this is one of the. This shit's straight made up. Like this is totally made up. When you hear it, it sounds like I get that they believed I and I'm whole, wholly on board with you. Like people are completely invested. In this this is reality. Like there are witches amongst them. These girls are being tormented. Mm-hmm. But some of the stories that are spun are so outrageous that you can you can't not make this up. Like it was made up. Yes, 
But so I read it, read it, and then I'll say what I, yeah. So they claimed to have seen a strange and unusual beast lying on the ground. When they approached, the beast vanished before their very eyes. And in its place stood two or three women who lingered for a moment, but then also vanished. They said that those women were Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tichaba. William Allen will later claim that her specter appeared at the foot of his bed. John Hughes, on the other hand, saw a gray cat at the foot of his. So the only, they, they were walking home from the, the ordinary? Yes. Yeah. So were they drunk? Probably. Probably. Have you ever drunkenly walked home through the woods at night? Yes. Does your mind play tricks on just you? Just play tricks on you. This is a big trick, though. And, Come on. And I, yes. And like you're, you're, yes. But, you know, uh, knowingly living in the 21st century and knowing exactly what is and is not in the woods, and you hear a thing or you see a thing, and your mind still just like races, and you're like, and I'm like, it's, it's the woods in Groton. The worst it's going to be might be a black bear. Like, there's some black bears out there. It's fine. But this is New England. This is, like, it could genuinely be, like, any sort of number of things that could... gen. So you have those things that all come into effect. And it's like, when something goes bump in the night and these people don't even understand, like, the concept of night, to be fair... (laughs) I can see where your mind is just going to run away with you and it's just going to just play tricks on you and and do that. But at the same time. Like that's fantastical. That's like, whoa. Yeah. But I get what you're saying and I, and I agree and I think you're right. And I have to remember that. Yes. These people are expecting to see a witch. Yeah. And they, they didn't have flashlights. Like, they just leave the ordinary half cocked. Still outrageous. Yeah. And then you can probably, and I don't know, I, I've, t- I've talked about this before with some other people. They're probably like egging each other on, like there's two guys, and they're probably like, oh shit, man, witches. Oh, what was that? Oh, do you see? Oh my God, what's over? The, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Like, oh, guys won't believe what we saw last night. Holy shit, dude, me and me and John were walking home, and there was this thing in the street. I don't know what it even was. William almost fought a witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay, now it's funny. That's horrible. <laughs> but, yeah, so a lot of spectral evidence yeah. um, ranging from the girls to adults in the community. People were very eager to give their testimony against her. And not just her, but her daughter as well. Let's talk about her daughter real quick. Okay. Because she is also accused, questioned, and imprisoned. Yeah. So remember, young Dorothy is only about four years old at this time, and she is the youngest of the accused of all the Salem Witch Trials. And it's less than a month until her arrest. March 24th, around that time. She is accused primarily by Abigail Williams and Mary Walcott. So just, you know, two of the young girls. Deodat Lawson recorded on that same day 
uh, the day that she was arrested, details of her examination. Whenever Dorothy looked upon the girls, they would fall into their fits. They claimed to have been bitten by her, and they even removed their clothing to reveal little bite marks. Little bite marks. Mm-hmm. And she'll go on to, I hate to use this phrase, testify against her mother because I feel like it was very much forced upon her. I mean, she's four, right? Like, what else are you supposed to say? Yeah, so the conversation's weird, right? Because she's she probably wants to be with her mother. She's right? probably scared. She yeah. She doesn't know what's going on. She probably doesn't understand the full concept behind oh, witches not, or witchcraft yeah. or the devil or anything like that. And she's she's also, and we don't know this, so I'm like a little presumptive, but I can't imagine Sarah Good had nice things to say about all these people to her daughter. Mm-hmm. So her daughter's probably been told these are bad people. They're mean. They don't like you. They don't want to help you. They, they're not... You know, no one wants us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So then now all of a sudden when she's being questioned by these people who her mother has told where where she's like, no, she's like, no, this is what, what we are. This is what my mother am. And so she's not necessarily outing her mother. Right. Mm -hmm. But she's siding with her mother. Right. Yeah. I could see that. And she's also just a child. Like we're talking make believe like they could have made this into a little game and she would have went along with it and then they would have wrote it down as real evidence. At one point she claims to have had a little snake that suckled on her hand at her finger. And when they asked where she pointed to a little red spot between her fingers, the magistrates asked her if the black man gave her the snake. She said, no, her mother did. So obviously this little girl is not having a snake like on her finger. We all no. know this, yeah. you know. But to them, it all it all fits their narrative. It fits the story. Yeah. So unfortunately, young Dorothy at the age of 4 is imprisoned. Mm-hmm. Her and her mother are both carted off to Boston jail uh, by the end of March and it's not just those two. But in tow, she also has an infant daughter. Yes. So before the Salem trials started, her and William Good had had a second daughter. I've seen reports that her daughter's name was Mercy. Uh-huh. I've also seen things that suggest that that was given to her posthumously. Um, just because of the sad nature of her passing. Mm-hmm. If you listened to the jail deaths episode, you know that uh, young infant good does not make it yeah. very long. Uh, so just to clarify, she is not pregnant. Yes. When she when like when they bring her into the Salem Village meeting house and she has her first line of questioning, mm-hmm. she's not pregnant. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like we cleared that up. We did, but we should do it again because yeah. we're talking about her. Yeah. And I think there are still some places in town that say I, that I she still was. sometimes hear people talking about it. Yep. Yeah. That's how I was originally taught as yeah. well. Yeah. That I she think, was pregnant. I think you, yeah, you were like, no, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Because they, they, 
the account she has the infant with her and you're like you can't both have the infant with you and be pregnant right uh so we know a few things for certain is that is when she is arrested uh the infant stays with her um so this would have been a very very young baby yeah it's uh, it's late said 91, be, early 92. Yeah, said to be still nursing, yeah. which is probably why she took her yes. with her. She took her daughter with her. Yes. Um, also, the fact that people didn't really want anything to do with their family. Yeah. No one was about to take in another mouth to feed. Yeah. Especially one of Sarah Goods. So it is now the three of them in in jail. Sarah Good. And her two daughters. And I think that's where we're going to leave you. That's it's a, kind of a downer. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite the downer. It's good timing, though. So looking forward to picking this back up. In part two, we'll talk about the actual trial, or at least what we know of the witnesses that came forth, as well as execution day mm-hmm. and the aftermath. And a little bit more about her daughter? Yes, we'll talk about the fate of uh, young Dorothy as well. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, that was the kind of a, that was a downer one. My goodness. We've been, we've been having so much fun recently. Yeah. Oh. Back to the, the yeah. sad reality. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this part one of Sarah Good and her life. Tune in next week to hear the conclusion. Thanks for listening. See you later. Thank you.